Well, this morning, I am still going to be preaching on Isaiah, as we have been, but God has given me a slightly different pattern from what we've been doing. We've been doing more exegetical, which means going through the actual book of the Bible and preaching from that book. But what I'm going to be doing is more topical this morning, because God just put a specific message in my heart, and uh, it's, in, it's incredible to me how God has orchestrated things, because... I did not choose the songs, but as we were singing those songs this morning, all of the words to the songs married up almost perfectly with all of the things God has told me to tell you guys this morning. And I was just like, you know, Lord, you're pretty cool. (laughs) Go ahead and put it right there, sweetie. Thank you. All right, guys, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. And this morning, we're going to be, as I said, I normally don't do this, but we're going to be bouncing around in your Bibles for a little bit. So first of all, if you get your Bibles out, if you have them, if, you're on, if they're on your phone or your, your tablet, go ahead and pull that out and be ready. We're going to be talking about four different topics of four different things. First of all, we're talking about two different truths. Then we're going to talk about two rules. Then we're going to talk about two hearts. And finally, two promises. So the two truths. First of all, Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13, and it's just one verse long, verse 8. For those of you who are not quite familiar with where Hebrews is, it's way in the back. Almost at the very end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is a truth that has been around long before there was time. That is a truth that was revealed to mankind from the beginning that God never changes. The the way God relates with all of God's creation never changes. It's not that it's one set of rules for somebody else and another set of rules for somebody else and so It is always the same. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your culture. It doesn't matter what your philosophies. Every single one of us can expect exactly the same response from God in the sense of the way he treats us, the way he acts towards us, because he never, ever changes. Now, let's go to the opposite end of the Bible, to the book of Numbers, Chapter 6. And in the book of, Num- of book of Numbers, chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27. The book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. This is what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Now let's look at this for a little bit. What specifically are we seeing in these verses? The Lord is the one that initiated this conversation. Verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses... Tell your brother Aaron and his sons, you are to bless the people of Israel. 
So Aaron and his sons are receiving a word uh, from the Lord, a command from the Lord, through Moses, who was at that point in time the intermediary between God and the people of Israel. And he said, this is what you are to do. So this is, this is one of the truths that is supposed to be universal for all people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, countenance and face are basically the same thing. So I don't know if this is just a poetical way of saying uh, this truth, but one of the things that the Israelites lived for, the people of God who were in right relationship with God, one of the things that they craved, that they lived for, was this intimate relationship with God, knowing that they were chosen of God, that they were loved by God, that they were kept by God, that they were protected by God, but also that their blessings came from God not turning away from them, if you will. Okay? God, we need you to look down on us. Let your face be turned toward us, to shine on us, to be gracious to us. We need you, your face, your countenance to be on us so that we can have peace. And how do you, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but, but for me, as, I, as I've meditated and thought about this, this idea, this is something that's part of my normal faith practice anyway. It's God, don't leave me. Don't ever forsake me. Let me be in your presence. I, 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 one of the things that, that I, I have a blessing, like Evelyn said this morning, is God, for some reason, God is here. Now, we believe and understand that God is everywhere. But there is what's called thin places. And that's, if you remember in the book of Genesis where Jacob is sleeping and he has a dream about angels coming and going from heaven on a ladder and then he wrestles with God right in that lo- that in that one location that was what's called a thin place it's a place where the 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 the, the barrier between the spiritual world and the physical world is thin and it's like there's almost a, a doorway where you can get glimpses of What's going on in the spiritual world? And I believe with all of my heart that God has formed a thin place here in this sanctuary. Now, I don't want to... What I mean by that is that when, when I come into this place, I sense the presence of God. I can tell you when I first came here 14 years ago, I walked through that door and I began weeping. Well, I weep when I am sensing God's presence in my life. That's, you know, some people get happy, some people laugh, some people, you know, get, get at peace. I cry. I mean, when, when, I, when God is pouring out his blessings on me, the waterworks just start. I walked through those doors 14 years ago, the very first time ever walking in here, and I began to weep. And I was very aware of the presence of God, and it has been the same for 14 years. I am very blessed that I live right next door. I can come here at three in the morning if I want to and walk in these doors and sit here in this room and just just wash myself in the presence of God. It doesn't mean I can't do it in my living room or I can't do it in my in my house, but it does mean that when I come here, there's a there's an overwhelming understanding or sense for me of God's presence. And what I see in these verses of God shining his face down on his people, being gracious to them, lifting up his countenance. And giving them peace. That's this one-on-one intimate relationship that God wants from his people and with his people. And it's we're going to look at, in just a few minutes, Genesis chapter 3, where God has an intimate relationship with people. Face-to-face, walking together in the cool of the day, 
through the garden that God created for them to enjoy and to have fellowship together. It's a, it's a, that's the type of relationship God wants to have with his people. And as we read in Hebrews, it was that way when God created the earth. And it is that way today. And it will be that way forever. God's desire is intimacy with the people who want to be with God. But we said that there are two rules that we're going to look at. And so I want you to turn now to Hebrew, to Romans, excuse me, Proverbs. Look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 15. This is one that is kind of hard. There's actually two verses. These are the two rules we're looking at. They're both in Proverbs, chapter 15. The first one we're going to look at is Proverbs 15, verse 8. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. I'm looking at the six, sorry. <laughs> Verse eight. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Look at those two phrases in verse eight of chapter 15. When a wicked person tries to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, God considers it an abomination. That's a pretty strong statement. That is, that, that there is a sense of rejection there. He says in verse, in the second part of verse 8, but when an upright person prays, God finds that acceptable. God desires intimate, one-on-one relationship with all of God's creatures. All of us. Every human being that's ever been created. But there is a distinction in the way that God relates to us. In that, if we are righteous, He finds our offerings and our prayers acceptable. If we are wicked or sacrilegious, He calls it an abomination. What is an abomination? Think about that. Somebody offer up right now another word for abomination. What, what, what do you think of when you think of the term abomination? Disgust. Disgust. Wow, that's a good word. Offense. I'm sorry? Offense. Offense. Detestable. Detestable. Ugliness. Dishonest. Ooh, that's a good thought. Imagine you come up to God, you walk up to the throne of God, and you say, God, here is my offering for you, an offering of worship to you. And what does God do? Because he sees that you're not in right relationship, because you're wicked, he turns his face away and refuses to receive it because it's an abomination to him. So do you understand this truth that we looked at about God putting his face towards you and allowing blessing and joy and peace and all of that that comes from having right relationship with God. But if you are not in right relationship with God and you try to enter in, he turns and won't look at you. Think about somebody in that position. What would their response be if they actually physically could walk into God's presence, carrying what they thought was their best offering to God. And he turned away from them. 
I know for me, I'd be mad. Well, fine. You don't want my offering? Fine. And walk away. Pretty much. Pretty much. See, God has a standard that doesn't change. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. And we don't just come to God as we choose. We come to God under those rules, under those standards. Now, the standards are very easy. Love me. Honor me. Follow my teachings. Do what I tell you to do. I will pour out blessings on you. But I don't let people come to me who are not in right relationship with me. It just doesn't happen. Look at verse 29 of chapter 15. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Years ago, I watched a video of a little boy and his father rafting in Colorado. And the father had been brought up in a Christian home, but had walked away from God as an adult. And his son, who was now about 12 years old, uh, had never been reared in any kind of a Christian faith. And there was an accident. Well, back it up a second. In the storyline, the father and the son come across an, an old abandoned gold mine town in, uh, in the Colorado mountains. And when they go there and they're exploring, all of a sudden they come across this hermit that lives in that gold mining town that's abandoned. And he lets them stay with him for a day or two. And when they get there, he shows them around the town. This is where I live. This is where I keep all of my goods. This is my store. And he said, this is my chapel. And he showed them the, the little chapel he had set up where there was where he would come and pray and read the Bible and pray. And he would also have a, he also had a radio that he would turn on and he would listen to Billy Graham broadcasts. That was his church. Well, this little boy had never been exposed to church before he knew anything about God. Never heard, knew anything about God. And so then a couple days late go by and then father and son head on and the rest of their, tra- their traveling. And the very first morning after they leave that little town, the father and the son are caught in rapids in the river and their, their boat capsizes and they finally make it to shore. But his father has hit his head against the rock as he's trying to get to the shore. And so he's laying on the edge of the, of the, of the, uh, the river. He's safe from being drug away by the current, but he's bleeding pretty badly and he says he's unconscious. And the son says, Daddy, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get help. And he runs back to the gold mining town to get the old man to help. And the next thing that we see, the old man has gotten the father back to the town. He's got him in bed. He's got him wrapped up and warm, done as much first as he can. And he said, but son, this is more than I can handle. I'm going to have to hike to the nearest town and try and get some medical attention to come out here for your dad. So you stay with your dad and you try and keep him as warm as you can. Make sure he has a little bit of water, a little bit of drink. And if he wants food, give him some. But you take care of your dad while I'm gone. And the old man leaves the little boy with his father, who's in really bad, bad shape. And the little boy doesn't know what to do. And so what does he do? He walks across the street in that old village and he gets down on his knees in front of that altar in that little church. And he says, God, would you please heal my dad? And I had a question when I read that. I mean, when I saw that, because I had just that day read these verses. That little boy was not in right relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't have a relationship with God. He had never confessed or repented of his sins. So what obligation did God have to hear his prayer? None. Absolutely none. Now that sounds harsh. But he's just a little boy, God. No, he's 12 years old. 
And according to Hebrew culture, he has reached the age of moral accountability where he knows right from wrong and he knows when he's done things wrong. And he has an onus to God. I could go into all of the scriptures to talk about that. About as human beings, each one of us come to a point where we know when we've done wrong and harmed our Father in heaven and have caused offense. Because the Holy Spirit of God is continually convicting us of sin and wooing us. It's the same forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Always. You sin, God convicts you of that sin. He confronts you with it. And you have a choice of either confessing and repenting. Or you have a choice of continuing in your sin. Look look with me. We're going to look at the next set of two. The two hearts which form relationship. Uh, Look at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. It cannot, that it cannot save. Nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When I first read these words, I got a little bit defensive. What do you mean? My God can do anything. Don't tell me my God cannot hear. But it's not he cannot hear. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. It is that he does not hear. Do you see the difference? It's not an inability on God's part. It's not a weakness on God's part. It's a, it's a situation where God says, uh-uh, I'm not. I am not listening to that. There's a, there's a thought in my head that I'm thinking, I'm praying whether I need to say this, so, so bear with me just a second. Okay, I'm not going to. Sorry, you'll have to ask me later. Um, Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Very first book in the Bible. This is the story of God in his very first relationships with human beings. And we know this story backwards, forwards, inside and out. It's you don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and fruit of, of good and evil. The serpent tricks Eve. Eve then takes a bite and she gives her husband a bite and they eat. And then they were, then their eyes are opened and they realize that they're naked. And verse eight then says, "And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden." Why would they do that? Why would these two people who love God, who have an intimate relationship with Him, who every day have the blessing of walking through the garden in the cool of the day in the very physical presence of God, why would they hide from Him? If you look in verse 9, he says, Where are you? He knew where they were. I mean, have you ever been the parent of a small child? They've got their head underneath the blanket. Where is Joey? Can't see Joey anyplace. Peekaboo! 
God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were, but he gave them the opportunity to stick their head out from where they were hiding and show themselves. He said, where are you? We were here, we were hiding because we were afraid, because we knew that we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And that's where he confronts them about their sin. And it ends up that they lose out. And the whole thing of the fall and all of our condition happens at at that moment. But the truth that I'm looking at there and the rule that I'm trying to see here is this. And the heart situation is this. God is not some, forgive the expression, prissy little thing that he can't endure any evil in his presence. So, oh my goodness, I can't have evil in my presence, so get out of here. That's not how God is. That's not how he relates with us. That's not, certainly not the powerful almighty being that I understand God to be. So if God, quote unquote, cannot have sin in his presence, it's not like he's the wicked witch of the West who can't have water thrown on him because it'll make him melt. It's because he will not allow it in his presence. There's a significant difference between Oh my goodness, I can't have sin anywhere near me. And I will not have that. And you will not bring that to me. Do you understand me? He's acting out of a position of authority and power. Whom God is. God is all authority. God is all power. And we have every responsibility before him when we come to him. To come to him in a right relationship. To act righteously, to be holy. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, I think it is verse 15, I don't remember because I don't have that in my notes, it's just popping into my head. But it says, be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God has a very clear, defined standard. You cannot come into my presence sullied dirty. For those of you who may have noticed, while we were in our time of worship this morning, I came up to the altar. It wasn't to pray for you. It was to pray for me. Because the Holy Spirit of God said, you better make sure that you're clean before me, boy. If you're going to stand up there and declare my word right now, talking especially about this topic, you better make sure there is nothing between you and me right now. And I got on my face before the Lord and I said, Father... I opened my heart, is there anything? And he didn't point out anything, but I I was walking in obedience at that moment. I felt the presence of God telling me, you get on your face before me and you make sure that you're clean. Now see, I was clean. But he wanted me to know that I was clean. Isn't that an interesting concept? Because see, sometimes we can be blinded to our own sin. I'm in right relationship with God. I've served God my whole life. I've had 40-some years of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I read His Word. I come to church. I take communion. I give faithfully. Certainly there's no sin in my life. Well, I could show you lots of stories in the Bible where there were people who thought they were holy and righteous and pure and found out later that they weren't. And how they responded ended up... I mean, show, ended, how they responded to that identification that there was sin in their life determined whether or not they continued in right relationship with God or not. But there's this last two things that I want to look at, these two promises that we have, and they're found at the back end of Isaiah 59. So go back to Isaiah 59, the last two verses. 
Isaiah 59, verse 20, and Isaiah 59, verse 21. The very first one is found in 59, 20. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. You know the whole story, if you've been around the church any, any length of time. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of their willful sin, all of humanity has now inherited this idea of original sin or depravity, where we want to do what God doesn't want us to do, and we end up sinning in ourselves. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, or 623, one of those two says that the wages of sin is death, and the other one says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being, every single human being has in some form or fashion broken relationship with God through their own choice. And so, since God will not have sin in his presence, every single one of us cannot enter into God's presence unless, by God's grace and mercy, God reaches in, draws us to him, we confess and repent of our sins, he then forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and fills us with his Holy Spirit, and we then walk in that purity and that righteousness, we now have access to God. So this promise that Isaiah gave to the people of Israel that came down to us all through these years is that God knows our sinful condition. God knows that you're walking around in an unrighteous, unholy state, and God himself is going to provide a way of redemption, a way of cleansing, a way of healing, so that you can get back into right relationship with God. But the key to this, look at the second part of this. God is going to send a redeemer to Zion, to the people of Jacob who turn from transgression. You see, God never forces you into relationship. And when the offer is made... It's your choice to turn. If you turn, you're going to be cleaned. If you turn, you will be made right with God. If you turn, you will walk in holiness and uprightness and be acceptable to God and have the blessings of God. But it's a matter of you having... That's where I got this idea that it's, it's two people involved in this relationship. Yes, human beings desire God's face to be shining on us and blessing us and pouring out stuff on us, giving us peace and joy and love and comfort. But the thing is, because of sin, that can't happen until we turn from our sin. The offer has already been made. The redemption has already been provided for through the blood of Christ who died on the cross, who rose again on the third day, who ascended into the Father and is sitting at the right hand of God right now making intercession on your behalf. But you have to be the one to turn from your sin. God is not going to force you to do that. And even Christians, even people who love Jesus can still sin. And if you sin, You've now erected a barrier between you and God. And it literally says at the beginning of this chapter, if you have sins in your life, you have put barriers to the point where I will not be hearing your prayers. And I will not be pouring out blessings on you. 
So don't go walking around going, I can't understand why I'm not getting blessed. I pray all the time. If you're not being blessed, if you're not sensing the presence of God, if you are not, quote unquote, experiencing God, then you need to get on your face and say, God, where is their sin? What barriers have I put in place? Because it's not God who moved. It is not God who moved. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the last promise that we have, this second promise, verse 21. God says, this is my covenant with them. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And what he is saying there is, if you have entered into right relationship with me through the redemption that I have provided, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even down to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth generation. But the key is you, not Sinning. I'll do everything else. But if you sin, then we got a problem. So, how do you not sin? Well, you follow the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God, it says in the Word, leads you into all truth. The Holy Spirit of God empowers you to live the life that God is calling you to. The Holy Spirit of God will continually guide you and remind you, hey, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. But you have to learn to hear that voice of God. How do you do that? You continue to get in his presence on a regular basis. You pray, you read, you make sure that you're not sinning. If there is sin in your life, you confess and repent and you repeat. (laughs) It's a simple process. It's very simple. God has set it up from the very beginning all the way to today. He did everything. The only thing he won't do for you is cause you to turn away from your sin. That's your job. Once you do that, he does everything else. So my encouragement to you, my challenge to you, my, if you will, my command to you is don't leave this room if you know that there's sin in your life. If you know that there's sin in your life, if you know that you've been in rebellion against your father, you need to make it right this morning. Whether you've known Jesus all of your life or whether you've never known Jesus, don't walk out of here and not have a right relationship with God. Because you have no promises, no promises, unless you are in right relationship with God. Let's pray.